0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today.
1: Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Just the level set on the Texans head coaching search. They've interviewed 3 candidates. Ben Johnson, Detroit OC. They interviewed him on Friday. And then on Saturday, the Texans interviewed both Shane Steichen, the Philadelphia OC, and Jonathan Gannon, the Philadelphia DC, who is – he's now done multiple go-rounds with the Texans when it comes to filling a head coaching vacancy. Yeah. It would seem they're quite familiar with Gannon.
2: (laughs) There were – you know, there's speculation or hearsay that maybe Gannon and – Casario couldn't quite agree on staff last year. So who knows? The the little mini negotiations that go on before the actual negotiation. um, I don't know how much of that was an issue then or would be an issue now. I know some people have thought about, some people have raised the question as to whether the Texans retaining their assistant coaches is going to be an issue. That's standard right now. Well, those assistant coaches are all under contract. You hire a head coach, then the head coach basically can uh, uh, take the, pick from the smorgasbord as to which coaches he wants to keep. Now, that's – I mean, some some owners treat it differently than others. Given <laughs> – as we talked about earlier, Cal's not afraid uh, to, to spend money on sunk costs. I'd be surprised if – if he, they would really like a candidate, but then say, but you have to keep five of these because I'm trying to save a couple million dollars. Um, so th- I, I don't think that's going to be an issue.
1: No. There's usually a couple that end up sticking around. Like Danny Barrett's been here now through multiple head coaches. I think a lot yeah. of people would like to see Frank Ross stay because of how good the special teams have been the last the couple years.
2: special teams, yeah, this year they're a top five unit in yep. a lot of respects. Though. So, um, yeah, and, th- and then Frank Ross, uh, you know, obviously – He's under contract, but he would also want to, you know, likely if he wants to stick around, whoever the new coach is. I don't know. Maybe, yep. maybe, maybe, maybe he hates Steichen for some reason. They got into a fist fight at the Combine <laughs> one year <or> <laughs> I would
1: be there for that. Um, all right, so let's get to know some of these guys here, Seth. I'm going to let you set this up. Um, we've got the two Philly coordinators. I'm going to judge them entirely based on the audio you're about to play. Which one do I like better based on audio? But uh, Steichen and Gannon, who do you want to go first here?
2: Let's go with Gannon.
1: Gannon first. haven't heard
2: this one, yeah. Okay. Gannon, uh, so Gannon is described by, like, Ross Tucker and others, but Ross Tucker knows him pretty well just from having interviewed him a few times. Well, I guess so, knows him enough. Um, but, like, Ross interviews a lot of coaches because he broadcasts every weekend. You know, he does an NFL game. So he's he's sat and asked these same questions about scheme and game plan to dozens and dozens of NFL coaches. He said that Gannon's by far, I think he said one of the, I want to say he said the most impressive, but one of the most impressive um, guys he's seen when it comes to just... Being dialed in on the X's and O's, motivation, just having a plan for how to coach defense. He said he's very, very impressive. This is Jonathan Gannon um, discussing with one of his younger assistant coaches uh, while he was mic'd up at practice one day about how to coach these guys. Stealing. Oh my God. There it is. Bang. Good spot. God, he's, he's sprinting back to that ball.
1: On top. On top. On top. Check his split out. On top boy get, get it out get it out get it out. You can't you can't fix everything. Can fix one thing. you know what I mean? And then it, and then it, yeah and then it and then it takes off pressure of the player like hey dude, like your one thing was hook scene that's right. your hook your your deal was hook scene. Well you know this wasn't great. Uh, yeah, but my hook scene was good. good. Then you just keep stacking those together. So he's coaching his coaches there, is what I'm hearing.
2: right? Yeah. Well, at the beginning, I should—I sent Ben the wrong clip. At the beginning, there he's coaching players, um, but then, then midway through, he's talking about how you got to focus in on one thing. That'd be and funny. That, like if guy,
1: it'd be funny if he were coaching coaches at the beginning. He's just growling yeah, at them and, and stick, <laughs>
2: stick. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> stick. <laughs> he. <laughs> uh, he, I think, uh, like, I liked hearing that. Like, just that, that – because, guys, are, coaching is teaching. You know, O'Brien, that's one of the things O'Brien used to say that's 100% true is that coaching is teaching, and I think, the uh, guys that can – Focus in on fixing things one at a time. Um, if you can apply that to his team and having a kind of a patient mentality about it, I like that. I I got the impression of him before, almost partly because he's always wearing sunglasses, like that he's almost like a like a Terminator automaton. I've watched some mic'd ups and in interviews now, where I'm starting to get a feel for the person more, and I think that when you watch him coach his players. He has that quality, like uh, guys that I've had like that, like Dom Capers and Dick Geron was like this, where like they just want to give you information, like you know, like you feel like you're both on the same side because you're both like you both just want to, you both want, both of you want you to perform well, and he's going to help you do it, and like it doesn't need to be all that dramatic or anything. You just we're gonna we're gonna attack it and we're gonna get you better. So um, he feels like that kind of guy to me. I uh, and, and the Eagles' defense has been very good, despite what Eagles fans tell you. <laughs> they, you Eagles fans, Eagles fans despise that defense because it, they play a lot of zone. They allow a lot of easy receptions underneath, and yet they don't allow a lot of points, which is the a number one goal of a defense. Yeah,
1: it's it's an angry city. That's that's my rationalization for that. I think they were. I think their defense is sixth in DVOA. You know, yeah. they, they, if you're wondering like where do the units rank that the, of the guys the Texans have interviewed so far. Ben Johnson is the steward of the fifth-rated offense in efficiency, D- the OC for Detroit. Steichen yep. is the OC for the third-rated offense in efficiency, and Gannon is the is the DC for the sixth-rated defense in efficiency. So these are all good units that they're overseeing. Uh,
2: so we'll go with – we can go with Steichen next and, uh, because we'll finish up with D'Amico because everybody knows that D'Amico is my favorite. So – Steichen, who has uh, run a very, very good offense with Jalen Hurts as his quarterback, um, previously was the offensive coordinator for the Chargers in 2020, when Justin Herbert, a different type of quarterback than Jalen Hurts, was the rookie of the year that year. So that's the most intriguing thing about Steichen, is that he's worked with two different young quarterbacks and gotten really good performances out of him. That's that's hard to ignore. And I'm not a hey, you got to hire an offensive guy, but man, that's that's twice. I know people are making the same argument for Pep Hamilton, but that that was as a quarterback's coach. Um, not as an offensive coordinator. So, which ironically enough, yeah, like it, Davis Mills looked a lot better with with Pep Hamilton as his quarterback's coach Much better. than he did yes. with Pep Hamilton <laughs> Way as his coordinator. <laughs> yep. So, uh this I I was I'm on. I'm on the fence as to Steichen's personality. Some guys are offensive coordinators and nothing more, and it's hard to envision them in the head coaching role. Um, but sometimes guys f- seem like that. Then they get in the head coaching role, and they're just they're, they they grow into it. They're just like they they kind of assimilate all the other leadership aspects. So um, this was Steichen uh, talking about Jalen Hurts' work ethic. He doesn't leave the building. Like this guy is here all day, every day. Uh, all he cares about is football. And when all you care about is football, you're, you're going to be successful. Um, and that, and that's what he does. It's, it's all he thinks about. He never takes days off. I mean, he's always working. Shoot, I was on Friday, you know, we met after practice, you know, this past week, and I'm walking through the weight room, you know, four o'clock, and kind of everyone's gone, and he's in there working. You know, shoot, last week he was – yeah, I don't remember what time it was, maybe 8 o'clock at night, and he came up and said, what's up, and going to go home and get some rest. I'm going in the weight room and getting on the bike. He doesn't stop.
1: So that's so, Shane Steichen, the OC for yep. the Eagles.
2: He, uh, so he's, uh, like he's got more of a laid-back demeanor. I almost feel like if he were to be the head coach, you would have to be careful in selecting a couple of taskmasters uh, on his staff somewhere. You know, the guys, that, uh, like in business, there'd be your chief of operate, your chief operations officer, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a, a drill sergeant type and, and just find that balance for the staff, not to be a jerk or anything, but just to, to balance things out a little bit. Um, but also I mean that's that's something they used to say about Kyle Shanahan, you know, like he's, he didn't necessarily have as assertive a personality as you might look for as a, in a head coach. Uh I don't know. They've they've done all right. They've done he hasn't his personality hasn't been holding them back.
1: He calls the plays in Philly, does he not? Does Steichen call uh, the plays?
2: Yeah, I believe so.
1: Okay. I mean, Sirianni's an offensive coach. I that's why I was yeah. I wasn't sure. Um so yeah, I mean, we can look that up. I just wasn't sure if you knew off the top of your head. Uh, does that matter to you if we're hiring? Over,
2: no, he took over play-calling duties midway through the 2021 season. Okay. And that, it, well, he the plan was for him to call plays at the beginning of this season. And I don't, I can't imagine there was anything. I was just trying to think if there was any like I thought maybe you'd heard news that, that Sirianni had taken back over. No, no, nope, okay.
1: nope, nope. I was literally just, I, I didn't okay. know the answer to it. So, um, uh so that Steichen, Steichen at the beginning of that cut almost sounded a little like Casario. Just his voice, his cadence. Play just the first like five seconds of it, Ben.
2: He doesn't leave the building. Like this guy's here all day, every day. There you
1: go.
2: Yeah, a little. little It's like if Casario had grown up somewhere in like the maybe mid-Atlantic or something. Yeah, yeah. Instead of yeah, instead of Ohio.
1: Right, right. It's Casario with an Eastern accent. Is what he grew up
2: in California. Steichen. He was born in California. Went to Oak Ridge High School. Okay. Yeah, All right. Eldorado Hills, California.
1: Okay. Well, that's the Oak Ridge accent then, I guess. Um, all right. So those
2: – Is that the Derek Carr accent? It is near Sacramento. Okay. It's – uh, you know what? Yeah. A lot of people have pointed that out to us, by the way. When we talk about Derek Carr's accent, people say, listen, you know, California isn't just Los Angeles and San Francisco and beaches. It's a lot of country and everything. To which you, we usually reply, yeah – But he grew up the younger brother of David Carr, who doesn't sound anything. Who had no accent? Yeah, yeah, and he lived in Katy uh, or Missouri City, wherever for uh, for a big chunk of his childhood. Yeah, we're not getting, we're not seeing that. But I can hear a little bit of a twang. I can hear a little bit of that twang in Steichen's voice. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit.
1: Pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) D'Amico, give me some, give me some intel on D'Amico Ryan's.
2: So D'Amico Ryans, who most people listening know, love, and remember from his days with the Texans, he is the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. He has spent much of his career as a player and as a coach opposite a Kubiak-Shanahan system, which is appealing to me because I feel like he probably, A, appreciates the superiority of that system, and B, it knows what to look for in coaches who coach it, and maybe has a little bit a bit of access to them because he's a defensive-minded coach, so he's going to have to be good at picking the offensive coordinator. So with D'Amico, the thing that really intrigues me about him as a as a coordinator slash coach is the attention to detail that I see out of the San Francisco defense. because That's very, very good. They disguise their blitzes very well. I think guys – you can tell that guys execute – their plays on defense in a meticulous manner and they seem like a pretty heady bunch, like a pretty intellectual, uh, uh coverage group. So there's that, but then there's this. So Lenore is a uh, defensive back for the 49ers. He's gotten picked on a lot this year. Like every time I watch a 49ers game, Lenore is screwing something up. D'Amico who was not just a good player, but also is a, just a very good people person. Uh, let the announcers describe to you how D'Amico handled this situation headed into the playoffs. Defense coordinator D'Amico Ryan says he's talked to Lenore about the fact that teams
1: are going after him. He said, look, don't look at that as a negative. Don't take that personally. Look at it as a positive. You're going to have all these chances to make plays.
2: And they said this immediately after Lenore had made a critical interception in the second half of the game, one that was part of, like, really the go-ahead for uh, um, sealing it for the 49ers. So, yeah, that like, that, that little tweak there is just something, like, it sounds simple enough, but there are a lot of super-driven, you know, type-A types that become head coaches who don't have the understanding of human psychology (laughs) like to handle situations like that that way.
1: Well, I, you know, and not to pick on Bill O'Brien, but, you know, Diamador Lenore is a second-year player. Um, He was a rookie last year. Rookies had a hard time developing, I think, with O'Brien's Kind of third-class citizen view of them but sometimes. Just, they don't know anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I get it. There's, I, I get it that there's a, a kind of a quasi-hazing aspect to rookies. You don't want to hand them too much nor give them too much. But I do think there's a line you can cross where you've got. I think I'm a big believer that you got to manage. You've got to manage people. Different people get managed different ways, and some people need uh, a pat on the butt instead of a yeah. you know a spanking.
2: Well, I think that there was, there's some reality, but I, I feel like uh, O'Brien, in a lot of ways, was a rookie bigot. He was, uh, he was bigoted against rookies. The same way, I'm, I'm thinking of um, the show uh, Mad Men, Sean. Mm-hmm. There's uh, one of the main female characters, his name was Peggy. And she was a, a brilliant ad writer, but she was just working as a secretary in this advertising agency because it was the 1960s. You know, You're not going to put a broad in the boardroom, right? <laughs> a dame, And yeah. uh, that's the way they talked back then. Yep. And so one day, basically, she makes a suggestion, and it's a brilliant suggestion, and and all these all these dudes are blown away. Um, they're like, oh, it was like a it was like a, like a, like a monkey sat down at a, it, it was, um, they couldn't believe it. Uh, that's how, that's how Bill O'Brien looked at rookies. He was the same as like a 1960s businessman assessing uh, a female <laughs> business person. Yes. He was going to like give grudging, grudging, grudging praise. And there was no chance in hell that he was. He
1: was, am I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm off base on that. I don't think I'm off base on that being, you know, assessing that is as his view of, of young players, of rookies, you know? And yeah. Very few of them wound up developing on his watch. Yeah,
2: yeah. Right. You if you, it's a halo effect. It's the opposite of the halo effect. Yep. Whatever you whatever you believe about somebody, like you pretty much cap their you cap their limitations by like believing whatever you believe about them.
1: And I thought that last night as I was watching Max Sharping start at right guard for the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals in a playoff game. <laughs> All right, uh, Payne and Pendergast with you on a Reaction Monday seven one three five seven two. Four six ten is the trailer wheel and frame text page. We played a bit of awkward audio before from that uh, involved Vince Wilfork. I want to play that again because we've got people weighing in with different awkward lebitard type moments that they've had. It was from the Dan Lebitard show, so we'll um, we'll play that for you again. People got a kick out of that and some of the follow up stories. Um. to that. um, We're still waiting today, big C.J. Stroud day so we're waiting to see if the Ohio State quarterback announces for the draft. A lot of questions coming in about that as well. Could C.J. Stroud be holding off on announcing anything because he doesn't want to become a Houston Texan? We will address that as well as we roll things out here on a reaction Monday and in the loop of course we'll jump in with us in the final segment of the show. Stay there you're listening to Payne and Pendergast.